And that's life. Happy New Year, Jacob. This is technically we're entering the third year. Uh, oh my God! Doing this, if you think about it, 2022. It's actually been less than two years that we've been doing it. It just happens that you know we just into 2022 and years. it's late 2020 that we started. Jeez. Wow. Um, hello, welcome everybody to the Morality of Everyday Things. I'm Anthony. I'm Jacob. Uh, we're longtime friends, co-founders of a couple of businesses: Stasher.com, travel business. If you ever need to store your luggage, TreePoints.Green, a social enterprise that focuses on sustainability, giving people access to tree planting, carbon offsetting, and plastic recycling in subscriptions and also integrations into websites and stuff. And of course, the co-host of this podcast the morality of everyday things where we yeah. talk about moral issues i mean as you say it's, it's <laughs> a little it's, more succinct Jake. <laughs> really convincing there uh moral issues well i was gonna say moral issues that affect our everyday life and then i thought generally that's true but sometimes you come across episodes like this where we talk about trophy hunting mm. um which it becomes more of a almost like a real life thought experiment it's more like moral issues of our time yes yeah, yeah, yeah. and general morality so first of all jake tell us a little bit about our sponsor yeah quick segment before we get into today's topic if you've ever listened to us talking and thought about starting your own podcast, there's no better time than now. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting studio that you can access straight from your browser. No installations needed. You just go on the site, send a link to your guest, and you can both get started. Recording studio quality audio and now video too. So if you want to make a podcast without all the hassle we fumbled our way through when we were setting this up, check out Zencaster.com. Be sure to enter the code Morality of Everyday Things. It's in the show notes and you'll get a 30% discount. Yep. I mean, it's just so much better than recording a Zoom call. It's as simple as recording a Zoom call, but the files are all set up for actual podcasting. Now, also, one before we thing, start, yeah, I was going to say before we before we get into the topic, you have a message from a listener. Yes. Hello, Jack Mulholland. Nice to meet you. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've actually messaged a little bit before. He's a, a keen fan, but he has pointed out that we often talk about consequentialism, specifically utilitarian and deontology and we often don't bring in the concept of virtue ethics i can think of maybe one episode where we kind of touched on it and we kind of have left it to the ancient greeks uh, <laughs> it, it kind of prompted us actually to think that it might be nice to do a couple historical episodes episodes where we actually just kind of go back and look at some of the main schools mm. uh, obviously we spend a lot of time on, on the biggest ones but you know look a little bit at the history of virtue eth virtue ethics and also any other kind of relevant schools of thought that we actually may have not touched upon at all yeah um, I, like maybe moral nihilism is is, <laughs> is worth at least i don't know five minutes time also one little shout out and we're, we're chatting to um chatting to the, the host about doing a collab episode but just something that i've really been enjoying recently good in theory a podcast by a ex-political philosophy professor and current journalist he talks through the entirety of plato's republic mm. which uh, i personally really enjoyed great episode also on uh, francis fukuyama's end of history really recommend those sounds like he takes on big texts and breaks them down in ways yes. that means you can kind of listen to it did you read his blurb because <laughs> that's literally it <laughs> but in a in a more like enjoyable fashion than just like an audiobook yeah. version of, yeah, yeah. Say, I, I have literally history i have literally i mean i had a lot of time with my family i've binged all of those while I was walking around um let's get into it today's episode is actually brought to us by an ex-colleague and friend, Jamie Von Johnson, mm. uh, who's currently studying sustainability, some sort of sustainability master's at Imperial College. Some um, sort of. <laughs> yeah, I don't know the exact title. And actually, they did a uh, debate on the topic of trophy hunting. And I thought that this was fairly clear cut, but after looking into it, I realized it's not. Yeah. Um, the question is, is trophy hunting wrong? Or, yeah. or, or is it really wrong? Yeah, or, or <laughs> really, really, really wrong. wrong. <laughs> uh, and, uh, effectively, you know, I, I guess the implicit policy outcome of that is, should we ban it? Or, or so. should we do something about it? So first off, we have to define trophy hunting. And I think most people understand what it is, but this is quite funny because I mentioned it to my girlfriend this morning. I was like, oh yeah, we're, she was like, what are you recording on? I said, trophy hunting. And she's like, why would trophy hunting be wrong? And I was like, what do you mean? I feel like most people intuitively feel it's wrong. And she was like, wait, what are you talking about? I'm talking about football teams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's so, so many other contexts. There's football, there's sleazy men. <laughs> so uh, in defining trophy hunting, what we're talking about is the killing of animals for sport. And generally when we say sport, it's people will hunt big game like lions, buffaloes, rhinos, whatever behead them or, or take some other sort of body part that they mm. hang on their wall mantelpiece and kind of show off the fact that they've hunted this big animal now people do kill animals for lots of reasons for food possibly out of self-defense to preserve ecosystems from an invasive species or overpopulation which you call culling but sometimes people do kill animals just for the fun and the sport of killing them and this is this is the the part that we're talking about here mm. when we talk about trophy yeah. hunting and i mean the, the the word trophy comes from the fact that people literally sometimes keep physical trophies part of their heads exactly. make a rug out of them generally how it works is that the prospective hunter pays a fee, a large fee, to hunt an animal, and they're granted permission to do so based on the government-issued quota for that area. So, so it is maintained. It's not, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's not however many people want to. They are then accompanied and observed by a guide who ensures that they make an ethical shot and help them, you know, identify whether that animal is killable or not. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're trying to kill the animal with one bullet, hence ethical. I think one thing that we didn't, sorry, write explicitly, but is worth talking about, I, I don't know if it actually happens 
at all outside of Africa. Every then, case yeah. I'm thinking of is in Africa. I think that's so Sub-Saharan Africa. Yeah, that must be the main uh, yeah. region. I assume it might happen in like I don't know, maybe in Asian maybe some Asian stuff, con- but, maybe somewhere in India, yeah, etc. But I mean, one thing to consider, and we'll definitely touch on this a ton, is that Sub-Saharan Africa is obviously, in relative economic terms, economically developing, and in some cases, relatively destitute. Yeah, um, rich in natural resources and sort of economically poor, right? So, yes. Yeah, yeah. And that will be relevant later. So when we're talking about when Ant was kind of describing the the way trophy hunting works. We're talking about when it's sort of regulated and done professionally, which means, uh, for, for example, as well, guides will also make sure the hunters don't kill animals that are too young or breeding. It's, in theory, it's designed in such a way that actually it's it's good for conservation. And, and we'll come to yeah. that in more detail as well. Yeah, it, it's, we mentioned quotas and we mentioned them selecting animals that aren't breeding age, etc. It's actually chosen... It, and mm. those those rules are set in a way to avoid the population like materially being damaged. Mm-hmm. So trophy hunting kind of came into the public spotlight, became a public issue after the death of Cecil the Lion in 2015. Yeah. Do, do you listeners remember that? It was actually it was like all over the news. It was massive. Is this a pantomime? Is there a call <laughs> response? Do you remember that? <laughs> oh no, <yes. laughs> he's behind you. <laughs> and I, actually, I, I think more recently as well, wasn't there like Donald Trump Jr. or people in the Trump White House got some crap for it? Anyway, but it became big in 2015. I'm Remember that story? Mm. Uh, an American dentist, Walter J. Palmer. Is he a modern American dentist or like a politician in the 1800s? <laughs> That's me, Walter J. Palmer, running for president. Shot Cecil the Lion. That's a fun sentence. Walter J. Palmer shot Cecil the Lion. That could be the beginning of like a children's poem. Um, <laughs> with an arrow on a recreational hunt. What a douche. Why an arrow? Like, Yeah, that seems a little bit like, I don't know. Yeah. Fashion. Now, Jake, you looked into this, so you can tell us a little bit about it. But part of the controversy here is that they allegedly lured him out of a protected area into viable hunting grounds. And in, the, in that protected area, Cecil was actually being studied. He had, mm-hmm. a, he had a collar so they could see his movement. And he survived the injury for about 10 to 12 hours before being found again, killed and decapitated. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is where the case gets a bit interesting with Cecil, because Walter's defense was basically... I paid some guides. They set the whole thing up. You know, I thought everything I was doing was totally legal. And actually, he was never charged with anything. Even the guides were never officially charged with anything because apparently the allegations against them were too vague. But what they did do, which, you know, listen and make your own judgments, was Cecil was being studied by an Oxford University research group in this protected conservation area. These guys came along with an elephant carcass, set up the carcass as like a bait just outside of the conservation area so they could lure him into like the sort of non-protected area. Mm. Shot him with the arrow. The um, wound wasn't fatal, like Ant said. So basically, and I think this is what particularly sparked outrage, apart from the fact he was being studied and I mean, they named him, so he was obviously a somewhat <laughs> loved mm. lion. Mm. He then suffered for like 10 to 12 hours, kind of like walking around with this arrow in him until they finally found him, killed him. And then what's a bit more dodgy is they decapitated him, took his head, took the collar as well and dumped it like miles away, I guess, to kind of throw off the fact that they realized he was GPS tracked. They probably yeah. at that point realized they really messed up. <laughs> but... It was at this point he realized. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so the disastrous hunt really brought the issue of trophy hunting back into the public eye in the West. Sparked a lot of anti-trophy hunting outspeaking by both regular people and celebrities. And, you know, rule of thumb, when celebrities start posting about stuff, I just hate it. Like, it's, it, like, it, it was like the whole lockdown thing where it's like, we're all in this together. Said from your huge mansion. Yeah. Not actually doing anything to help. Sorry, carry on. No, I, I watched the Jimmy Kimmel video on this actually because I remember that was one that kind of really like helped blow the whole thing up. So I think oh, he, and he, Yeah, well, he, he got quite emotional about the Cecil thing, but he was also quite funny to be fair because he was sort of like, he was saying, what? he was like, oh, I hope it's not an American who's done this. Like uh, initially there were rumors it was a Spanish guy and then he was like, no, no, it was one of us. <laughs> and then he looks back at Walter Palmer's history and Palmer actually is like, you know, he's done loads of hunts. He's hunted bears. He actually, he was convicted of hunting a bear and lying about where he hunted it. Because again, he'd done it in like a sort of in the wrong area before the Cecil case blew up. But then Kimmel was kind of like, but what is it that drives you to do this? I mean, how badly do you struggle to get an erection? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that whole thing, like you say, loads of celebrities got involved. It all became massive. And this was, I guess, at a point where social media was really helping to amplify things. Mm. I, I wouldn't say it's one of the first big social media outrage cases because loads of stuff. 2015, really? It's a bit late. Yeah, stuff, stuff <laughs> been happening before. But this was one that really like captured yeah. global imagination. And when you talk about the morality of trophy hunting, uh, I think it's interesting that there's a bit of a parallel with the whole veganism argument. People who go vegan often argue that the benefits of food that we get from the killing of animals just isn't worth the suffering since it is possible, if in some cases more expensive and yeah, arguably less tasty, um, <laughs> to sustain yourself. Yeah, to sustain yourself healthily without eating animal products. 
So it's a hot debate by comparison, though, because with trophy hunting, most people are kind of in agreement. Yeah, because I think, as you say, like people can kind of get their heads around you kill animals for food. There's like a trade-off of benefits that yeah. vegans aren't happy with, but people yeah. who eat meat, I guess, get there's, comfortable with. Yeah, right? there's kind of a comfortable sort of like, oh, it kind of is a necessity. I kind of people are happy mm. justifying themselves. I do need to eat meat. Yeah, and I like I don't mean this as a severe justification, but like I know in my own case, I have reduced my meat intake and I avoid particularly high carbon footprint meats like like mm-hmm. beef but for i'm quite a avid fitness goer and i like to eat my macros rather than drink them mm-hmm. so it can be quite hard to it, it's just it's an efficient source of protein it's, it's a really yeah. efficient source. it's really hard to find a not highly processed tasty equivalent for a chicken breast yeah which is just almost all protein yeah, um, but and as you say, by comparison, most people would consider killing a living being just for fun, yeah, just to this, display its it parts t- as like it trophies. Really, it's kind of like pointless cruelty. Yeah, right? it really, it really pushes to the limit. The kind of like you don't this need to isn't do it. really necessary. Yeah, that's right? the thing. Like vegan, like yeah, like eating meat. There's you know we kind of are maybe it's maybe it's wrong. Maybe it's just something that's so heavily uh, socialized that we we tell ourselves that it's necessary, or maybe we're just being lazy. But this is really like you're not asking me to swap a patty at the supermarket <laughs> and suck up the. Fact that maybe I don't like the taste as much. You know, you're asking me to not fly across the globe, play, pay a hundred thousand dollars, and shoot something. <laughs> exactly, which is, seems much more reasonable. It's it's important at this point some nuance, uh, not to confuse trophy hunting with poaching. So, like we've said, trophy hunting is an activity uh, performed by either individuals, small groups. The goal is to hunt an animal, kill it, take it, or part of it back home. You pay large sums of money to do so, but it's it's this kind of regulated sport. Well, mm. except in the case of Cecil, it's regulated when it's like done professionally. Mm. Poaching, by contrast, basically people who hunt multiple animals, they sell their body parts. Instead of providing funds for the hunt, they hunt for the funds. So mm. they're basically leeching off the biome and the local community because mm. they're killing animals that they don't have a right to kill and they're selling their parts on. Yeah, poaching is like explicitly illegal. Trophy yeah. hunting is kind of like yeah. regulated and uh, and officially legal in some African countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's effectively the difference between buying a service and stealing a or or buying a natural resource and stealing a natural resource. Yeah, I think that's actually that's a good distinction. Yeah, it's also important to mention that these are not the only direct human threats to to this exotic life. Mm. Uh, weird question. The term exotic is the, <laughs> is the term exotic. Uh, like it, it, I didn't realize until I said it, and and a lot of this are, like debate that we're going to talk about is is about how our ideals are a little too Western centric, maybe detached from where this is even actually happening, and understanding their problems locally. Like the term exotic it must be a relative term. Well, right? it's it's relative, but like you know, do people in Africa talk about pigeons in London as exotic animals? <laughs> like it, it's funny how it has an implied kind of. Like across the world, or that, like Western tech. superiority, like this is normal and that's weird. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I do. Yeah. Like, yeah. Is there are there any sort of? Yeah, you can't imagine them talking about like exotic house cats or. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's no. There's uh, the main thing is that it only goes one way. Yeah. The Western world talks about exotic animals in other countries. Other countries don't talk about exotic animals in the Western world. To be fair, you talk about exotic creatures in like North America because they have grizzly bears and stuff like that. No, you don't call those exotic. Do you reckon? I reckon uh, Australians might. I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> it might be a good time. To... Any Australian listeners? Yes. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, it's important to note that they, and, and this is a really important part because part of a lot of moralistic reasoning and certainly consequentialist moralistic reasoning, it's not just enough to talk about outcomes specifically of what you're doing. You kind of need to talk about opportunity cost of outcomes. Yeah. So there are other threats to these animals. I mean, agriculture, for example, is actually a much larger threat than trophy hunters because, you know, agriculture takes up land. Yeah, um, if you weren't using that land to create conservation a, areas, there'd be to... a lot of pressure to find another economically productive use. Exactly, and farming um, probably is that. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get into that a bit later. Yeah. Okay, so uh, as always, we like to introduce some philosophical frameworks. We'll keep this section fairly brief for this episode yep. because this is one of those rare topics where deontologists and consequentialists tend to agree. Sort of. And, well, actually, I, I think the crux is... I think the We'll get into are, the sort of nuance yeah, of consequential um, stuff. But. but also, sorry, sorry, Jack Mulholland, we had already written the script before we considered, oh, yeah, we should introduce some more perspectives <laughs> and things that we talk about. But it's also a little bit of a back and forth. And this is, yeah. you know, roughly the way that most people think, like, there are hard rules versus there are yeah. um, things. The deontologists basically don't offer us that much when it comes to this topic. From a deontological perspective, trophy hunting is wrong because it inflicts suffering and because life has intrinsic value. And we will come back to that because there's a debate about why we value conservation as an activity at all. Yeah, yeah. And to be fair, also, it depends a little bit, you know, uh, I mean, we've spoken about Kant and animals before in the, on the meat-eating episode. Mm. It depends a little bit on your perspective on the morality of animal life. Yeah, uh, Kant, Kant famously 
I believe, uh, if I recall from that episode, said that basically are non-moral agents. So actually, the statement, you know, it inflicts suffering on a living being could be irrelevant. It could be like, mm-hmm. this is a non-moral issue because they're animals. So there's a little bit of nuance based on some of your premises. But yeah, I mean, okay, I get your point that like, colloquially, mm-hmm. I think most people kind of understand that Dale Huntable perspective where like, even if it does net good, the fact is it's wrong to kill these animals unnecessarily. Yeah. Which I think is basically sums up the Western moral perspective on yeah. trophy hunting. Yeah. 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 From a consequentialist perspective, you could, on a short term basis, say that trophy hunting is considered wrong because it causes a great deal more suffering than it does good. The pleasure that you feel in killing an animal can't really be weighed against the fact that the animal dies. Uh, The extinction of animals as well, should trophy hunting contribute to that, uh, can have a large and often detrimental impact on its ecosystem. However, I don't think that's necessarily relevant because, mm. as we'll come to... Yeah, it's actually the exact opposite, which is yeah. which is where the conflict arises. Because it's it, it actually... You said that they kind of agree. I actually think that the whole point is that this argument is, mm. is actually the perfect example of, uh, like, deontology versus consequentialism. <laughs> like, we're breaking a rule to promote the net good. It's basically a real-life example of... I, I can't remember the term... There's a specific term for the thought experiment, but it's basically the real life example of like, could we justify having a small class of slaves to make everyone else happy? Mm. You know, basically, can we do one really horrible thing to help everyone else? Exactly. Uh, to, to, to one or two people to, to help everyone else. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it. And we'll definitely come to that thought experiment in a bit. Uh, yep. So let's now look at the conservationism point, because this is this is the kind of crux of the consequentialist argument is you've got the short term case of killing, but the long term benefits of trophy hunting could potentially justify it and certainly conservationists think that it does Mm. so there is evidence to suggest that permitting trophy hunting given certain regulations can actually ensure continued biodiversity trophy hunting is expensive really expensive like ant said i mean you've thrown out figures like a hundred thousand dollars walter palmer paid fifty thousand dollars to hunt cecil the lion like 21 day hunting trips can cost more than a hundred thousand dollars it's it's yeah it's mad levels of money it's funny to think if you think about the marginal cost that our healthcare systems are willing to pay to you know extend or to I don't know, promote human life by 80 quality adjusted life years or whatever. I think by implication, it's it's actually the animals' lives are more expensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it probably is true. It yeah. probably is. Um, so conservancies get a cut of this money spent in, in morbid excess. So a, a famous study by Angula et al. I love the naming convention of academics. Et al. Yeah. Et al. Uh, it's, 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 the rest of you don't matter. And this was in 2018. They spoke to 32 conservatories in Namibia. Really want to go to Namibia. It looks beautiful. Mm. Um, and showed it actually showed that the majority of respondents to a questionnaire were in support of trophy hunting. Many of the respondents stated that they thought that without trophy hunting, they simply wouldn't get the financial support they needed to continue operating their conservancy projects, i.e., promote the growth of the populations of the endangered animals. Yep, prevent the land being turned to farming and agriculture, yep. etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. One respondent literally wrote. We rely on trophy hunting for the successful operation of our conservancy. Do not ban trophy hunting. It's like set out exactly that plainly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So ironically, the process of hunting endangered species for sport may be working to fight the protection and proliferation of these same endangered species. Yeah. And I guess it's not even really ironic. It sounds ironic from our perspective, but that's by design, right? That's the way it works. So beyond dedicated conservancies, there are also large swathes of land that act as preserves, keeping out both poaching and other human encroachments, which are a much greater threat than the animals. Really, poaching is the thing that's going to drive animals extinct more than, say, trophy hunting, because poachers kill as many animals as they can get their hands on, Mm. often in unsustainable amounts. They have no sort of regard for the the sort of breeding habits, et cetera, et cetera, Mm -hmm. and they destroy habitats to fill like human needs. So question, just to clarify for me, I wasn't clear what's the difference between a conservancy and a preserve uh, i wish i could tell you <laughs> I get an idea? Uh, conservancies actively try to promote right the, okay okay so so conservancy is where they're like trying to breed the animals and and, they, and they'll just have like dedicated areas that are like it's just like, like a nature land. reserve right okay right. so so for context a conservancy is where there's like literally not zookeepers it's not the right word but you know what i mean like animal handlers yeah you get what i mean who are there like taking care of them vets mm-hmm. you know making sure they're well trying to encourage them you know showing showing them rhino porn or whatever it is that gets them going <laughs> and preserves are just protected land which i would which i would guess based on the little map that i saw of cecil the lion probably largely sits around conservancies yeah, to kind so. of like insulate them yeah yeah um, like to sort of pad them yes got it okay so these preserves are, are actually maintained by the money made from trophy hunters uh, who spend a lot of money to travel, stay, have access to land, and, and keep the animal after the hunt. So, as we were saying, trophy hunting is a really viable source of income, but only when the animals being hunted are still around. So this means there's an economic incentive to preserve them, and that's why trophy hunting actually tends to work, because mm-hmm. you can't, like, you, that's why you have quotas, right? Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, a really good example, uh, you have to take our word that there's a causal link, because obviously correlation is not causation. Well, it's not 
all the time, but you know, sometimes it is. Sorry, correlation is not causation, but sometimes you know there is a causal link that explains the correlation. You Thank can tell you. that we studied economics, right? Um, <laughs> and so a this, long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> the southern white rhino, for example, was reduced to a population of about 100 in Namibia. And since trophy hunting started in 1982, the population has increased dramatically to nearly 1,000. Like I'm saying, there may be other factors that contribute to that. Um, but I think the incentives are clear. Yeah, right? the incentives are clear. And, and, you know, we've taken that as a high-level stat, like take our word for it that, like, that is largely caused by the ability to run these conservancies funded by a small amount of trophy hunting. Exactly. Now, Ant mentioned opportunity costs before. Fundamentally, land needs to be used. Nobody's going to turn their nose up at land. You capitalist. <laughs> look at you. Look at you. You, you you're, you're, you're too bought into the consumerist and, and produ- if it's not productive, it doesn't exist. Well, let's put it another way. Land is going to be used. So yeah. the question is, is there a way to use the land that will prevent the local wildlife from going extinct, but that's less objectionable than trophy hunting? And that there's enough profit motive. That makes me sound capitalist again. Yeah. But it, can you align no, incentives yeah. in a way that makes I think that this viable? Is, because... This is the thing that I was talking about with like kind of an imperialistic or, or a moral, morally imperialistic mindset from the West to, the, to mm. the rest of the world. You know, we're talking about people who are, like I said, relatively economically destitute. It's very hard to tell those people you don't get to use this land to feed yourselves because we care about preserving a white rhino. Yeah, right. unless and, there's some reason for them to do that. Yeah, uh, well, uh, yeah, unless there's some other viable way of running that land. So, so yeah, as, I mean, farming you mentioned is one of the things, but the other one might be tourism. We'll come to that. But yeah, farming is a pretty great use of land. It provides a stable food supply, stable income. To farm, though, you need to alter and control the environment, which makes it pretty difficult, if not impossible, for wildlife to coexist with it. Yeah, you, you can't have lions just roaming around a cattle ranch. Not a successful cattle ranch, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it, would be a, it would be a pretty bad cattle ranch, right? Sorry. Very happy lions, though. Um, and there are people who argue that tourism fits a similar niche to trophy hunting. I mean, if you think about it, trophy hunting is effectively, I don't know how much of it is domestic, but it's a subset of, of tourism, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a type of tourism. But wider tourism has some drawbacks. You need a lot more tourists than hunters because tourists typically will pay less than fifty to 100000 to make the same amount of money. And you would not be able to charge basically the high fees that are associated with that specific act, the killing. Mm. Yeah, you'd also need a lot more area to be touristy or, or hospitable. You know, places to stay, scenic environments with uh, lots of wildlife for photographing you Mm -hmm, you have to make mm -hmm. the attractions make it suitable for uh, retirees and overweight americans to waddle around (laughs) Um, and a stable environment basically that can handle an influx of tourists and many of the places that are currently used for trophy hunting just don't have these or actually the creation of these things would would take up a lot of land that is being used for conservancy yeah trophy hunting in in these terms just sounds economically like the most efficient or or the marginal benefits of trophy hunting in terms Mm. of the costs right yeah. It's, it's very profitable. Yeah. Um, I think one thing also that, you know, we shouldn't necessarily take to be the case from people who are saying that they are, are you know, pro-trophy hunting. To say that you're pro-trophy hunting isn't to say that you see it as a the ultimate way to use that or, or the best, or, you know, the theoretically forever best way to use land. You, you could argue that maybe in some cases they just see it as the current best use of land uh, to provide value whilst also ensuring conservation of, of, of local fauna. Yeah, because um, in, in theory, if those communities became sort of wealthy enough, yeah. they wouldn't need to provide trophy hunting. You could just turn them into preserves. So mm. it's, it's kind of a means to an end. Yeah. One thing I, I'd put in the notes, actually, and it's just relevant because we, you know, we work in carbon offsetting and, and tree planting and stuff with our social enterprise. One use of land that we're seeing more and more in developing countries is actually conservation of flora rather than fauna, specifically for the purposes of maintaining carbon absorption and carbon sinks. Maybe there's some sort of viable thing there where like you just, Mm. you know, you could preserve plots of land and keep them wild just to avoid loss of the um, natural uh, plants and animals and stuff that are keeping it absorbing that carbon or or. I mean, the problem, or the alternative is that you actively plant trees there, but that also kind of changes it, mm. uh, may, maybe makes it less hospitable. I mean, it's a good biome for a lot of animals, like, you know, insects and smaller animals, like mm-hmm. the tree planted areas, as long as you're using indigenous species, but not great for rhinos or lions. <laughs> uh, and I don't think many trees grow in the middle of like, you know, a savanna. Mm, mm. Yeah, no, exactly. That, ultimately, what you're pointing at is there are, there are alternative uh, use of land to trophy hunting. But mm. trophy hunting could be a great way to accelerate towards that end. Yes. Yeah. Like the, the, the current viable alternatives actually are not great for the animals either. Most realistically farming. Yeah. Let's talk about the cultural divide. So for the most part, the moral outrage surrounding trophy hunting comes from Western communities like the UK and the US, both of which are moving in the direction of banning the transporting of trophy hunted animals. However, the issue of trophy hunting is actually most relevant elsewhere. Like we've discussed, it mostly takes place in African nations, which are rich with exotic megafauna and dangerous predators. 
So there is a case to be made that people in the West getting outraged at trophy hunting are kind of, they're, they're misguided and uninformed of its benefits. They see the kind of like gore of an animal being hunted and they're like, wow, big cuddly lion, that's really like mm. nasty. Um, but mm. they're kind of wading into an issue that's not really relevant to them. What do you yeah. reckon? Or or perhaps that they kind of miss the context to understand. Sure. I, I think that's fair. So uh, like a little bit of context. Uh, my my mum is originally from Eastern Europe. And I think it's interesting, even, I mean, I'm not relating Eastern Europe to Africa, uh, but even in that context, I can't think of a specific example, but like certain moral issues, I think it's funny seeing the, the, the kind of moral perspective difference between, you know, people who have much more, who are in more like dire economic situations and, and, and the kind of decisions they have to make. And what, what's an example? Okay, meat eating. For I was example. gonna say because they keep they keep like they keep animals and they kill yeah. them, yeah. right? And it's, it's and they're not squeamish about that. It's no, and they're not squeamish about it. And and it's not it's you know it, it would almost be ridiculous to tell someone who's earning you know two hundred and fifty pounds a month like oh I can't believe you're keeping chickens that's so immoral like you should just be eating vegan or whatever <laughs> um, you know and, and it's it's kind of understanding like you know what sometimes we kind of forget that we live in a world where so many of our needs are met. Yeah, that we can start to think about those kind of things, and 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 don't get me wrong, that's a great thing, right? But you need it's to remember that the you need to privilege. Yeah, you, you have, need to right? appreciate that. So, I mean, another really good example is, um, you know, nonviolence, for example, right? Like, what happens when you live in a society where you're surrounded by violence, right? Are, do, you, do you need to be like the, do you need to take the high road and turn the other cheek or, or do you need to defend yourself? <laughs> you right? only have so many cheeks. I know, I know. <laughs> and I, I mean, like, I don't know, I can't give a specific example of that, but like, I think you get my point that like, sometimes necessity overrides ideal morality. Yeah. And I, I think what makes this case is, um, so there was an open letter signed by representatives of several African nations, including Botswana, Namibia, Zimbabwe, which I think of all legalized trophy hunting and more. Uh, and they argue that Western celebrities speaking out against trophy hunting, particularly after the Cecil case, are, quote, undermining their basic human right to sustainably use the natural resources on which their community's livelihoods depend, end quote. So the letter goes on to say that wildlife is one of the few rich resources that the nations have, and that imposing worldviews and value systems from faraway places, amplified through your powerful, influential voices, results in disastrous policies that undermine our rights and conservation success. I yeah. forgot to put the quotes on that second bit, yeah. but I think you got where I was going with Yeah, it. and this is actually going to bring us to, to the important point, which is around conservation more generally, right? Mm. Um, because I think one thing that's interesting is endangered, non-endangered, it's so interesting to see this in contrast to, to livestock, mm. right? Because no one's, okay, yes, we mentioned like in the Western world, like there's more pressure to eat less meat, eat no meat if you can. No one's saying that, you know, poor people in Africa shouldn't farm and kill animals, right? Mm-hmm. And yet when we move and we create this kind of mental model of livestock, right? Oh, but that's animals for killing. Mm -hmm. And then when we move into animals of two classes, or, or I guess they're kind of two subsets of the same class, non-livestock and then particularly non-livestock who are endangered, mm -hmm. suddenly we feel very, very differently about the idea of people killing them, even if it's like benefiting, you know, local communities who, who are relatively destitute, mm -hmm. right? I keep using that term relatively destitute, absolutely destitute. <laughs> yeah, in some cases, right? Yeah. So it's interesting. I mean, it takes us to a big part of the question. And it's one of those things that actually, I really like this discussion because we, we've talked about this a bunch in several episodes. Part of what I like about unpacking moral questions or philosophical questions is when you take a step back and think about it at a higher level, you might realize that there's a bunch of premises that you've kind of brought to it. Yeah. And you've never thought to question them. And yeah. one of them here is, why is conservation such a good thing anyway? Why, why should we be trying to, to keep these endangered species alive? Yeah, because if you break this argument down to its simplest, what we've basically said is trophy hunting, while distasteful, is really good for conservation. Yeah. And actually, I feel like a lot of people kind of stop at that point because they're like, cool, okay, we like conservation. That's, yeah. you know, that's yeah, yeah. a value that we hold. And also, and killing, extinction is wrong. Exactly. And, and killing things and things suffering is wrong. But, you know, it's okay for livestock. <laughs> yeah. So there's not that distinction of why are these animals special? And part of that reason is because they're endangered. And it's okay, why is keeping endangered things alive special? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So many people think that animals going extinct is a tragedy. You've probably often heard statistics of how many species are going extinct in a year. I mean, it, it's currently we're going through, quote, an extinction crisis. People clearly think that's appalling, especially the people who are reporting on it. But, I mean, Tig's got here that 99% of all I mean, life that's existed on Earth is extinct. Which I, don't I, guess I, don't is... Think, I don't think it's intended to be a specific stat. The point yeah. is, like, the majority... <laughs> 
things have like most things have died. you know have lived uh, spe- yeah. most species have died out i mean all dinosaurs died out you know tons of species in between poor um, dinos poor dinos like on a relative scale the species that have become extinct specifically because of humans is actually relatively small yeah it's a high proportion in the last however many decades but you know on, many, on, like on the scale on the really, scale yeah. of, of the earth yeah. Like extinction is a natural process. It's a byproduct of natural selection is kind of yeah. what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but some people argue that aversion, the aversion people feel towards extinction is is kind of like nostalgia. So people don't care about the central rock rat going extinct. We didn't know about the central rock rat until Ty pointed it out to us earlier this week. Yeah, but I think, people, I think it's literally the, the result of like endangered animals no one cares about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> Whereas people freak out about pandas going extinct. Like I can't imagine the social media outpouring if someone hunted a panda for example yeah. like yeah, yeah. that would be yeah <laughs> that'd be mental yeah um so maybe yeah maybe the moral outrage people feel out of this is just it's kind yeah. of just regular outrage yeah yeah but i mean actually i mean pandas are such a good example because you know what pandas are kind of crappy animals <laughs> like like they, yeah, they refuse to, your opinion on this. Yeah, no no yeah panda, they refuse to have sex so they refuse to procreate like the they, hell's they, wrong with them yeah they only eat an incredibly inefficient source of food bamboo. you know bamboo like this is this is what you call not like man-made extinction this is what you call you know natural selection right pandas <laughs> are just slowly trying to die out yeah they're, they're trying like, their best on. and we're just doing everything possible to make sure that they can't go you know they're just trying to kind of slip off the mortal coil as a species um and and i i really i actually really like that like you said it's like a this 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 aversion towards extinction is like a nostalgia the thing that i find so funny is you know we kind of use these this like uh natural versus man-made right mm. which I, it is so strange right because actually humans are part of nature mm. so so what we make is part of nature in a sense mm-hmm. like yes we are affecting it to a, an extent where like we need to think about the impact on a planetary level or, or in certain ecosystems and we should think about pros and cons but i don't think that's synonymous with saying we should prevent everything from going extinct mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and and some uh, partially because it's a natural process and i i don't really see a good reason why we should take a snapshot in time around this sort of multi-hundred year period where humans are suddenly industrializing to the point where we're impacting the world so much and say, this is how the world should be forever. And mm. we should, you know, we should do everything we can to keep it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, in some cases, take, for example, certain, you know, some, uh, uh, I'm being provocative. I, I haven't, I don't have a strong feeling on it, but like take some of these sub-Saharan African animals. Like, is there a particularly compelling reason aside from the fact that, you know, aside from this kind of snapshot nostalgia argument as to why the white African rhino should be preserved like are they are they super important for some part of the biome or something i can yeah or is it just a symbol well i i could give you two reasons i was thinking about this and Mm. i think the little birds who sit on their back (laughs) (laughs) so yeah when people talk about extinction the reason they get stressed out about it is because it has such a sense of finality about it and i say sense of finality just because we'll come to another question which is if you could bring a species back yeah which we can which we probably can (laughs) jurassic park (laughs) (laughs) yeah this actually that's a byproduct right like if if we have a responsibility to maintain maintain things as we are, do we also have a responsibility to bring things back to life? Like, if we can find a preserved dodo mm. feather, should we bring that back to life? If we can find you know, dinosaur cells, should we bring? That? They're talking about bringing woolly mammoths back to mm. life. If you recall, that's yeah. actually very recent news. Exactly. Do we have a moral imperative to do that? Yeah. So it's a good question, and and the reasons I'd give for it, people caring about extinction are um, twofold. One, there's the sort of human centric argument mm. around conservation that basically says. When you when an animal dies out, it has like knock on effects on the biome that some so we this, can predict and the, some we can't. Predict. Is this the unpredictable argument? Yeah, some we can and some we can't. The I predictable know, ones like it sort of changes the nature of environments. Okay, um, so it's unknown unknowns. I I feel like that's a weak argument, right? Because you could you could say that about any novel activity, mm. right? And it's not a good reason to never do anything. Should I take this other road home? Right? The, ah, there are unknown unknowns, right? Like. <laughs> No, but is it? That's a bit different. Like, should we let okay. rhinos die out? And okay, fine, like, fine. But you get what I mean. Like, that wasn't a good example. But okay, yeah. should I try this new food? I could be allergic to it, and it could kill me, right? But I mean, like, you kind of need to take the chance of that being the case in context of wider study. Like, you know, I, I haven't studied the impact of the rhino on the biome, but like, mm-hmm. do I actually think that the sub-Saharan African biome is going to collapse if if rhinos disappear? Based on the fact that there are only a hundred of them. Well, probably not. There's a thousand now. They yeah, built them yeah, back. Yeah. But I, I, your point is taken. Like uh, generally, these things evolve quite slowly. It doesn't tend yeah. to be that things die out immediately. Yeah. Although I think the point here is like yeah. poaching were to make I that the case. You. And also, sorry, the other thing, mm-hmm. the, the David Attenborough argument, right? We talk about climate change, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's like no, life will adapt. Yeah. It just might not be in a way that we like. 
right? Yeah. Sorry, he, that's an extreme case of climate change. My point in the case of something like rhinos is like, might it change the biome? Yes. Mm. But, you know, life will adapt around it. Like, I, it, I species that. have gone extinct forever, right? And there are still other species and everything's fine. Yeah, things out compete yeah. and, things, and things relatively change. sort of balance out into different equilibriums. Yeah. So I, I, I'd agree with that. So I think there is a moral argument to be made there. That's the one people tend to resort to. I think more persuasively, but this ultimately is just like a question of values. I think the other reason to care about species going extinct is that sense of like responsibility for the welfare of other living things if you're affecting it. And I think basically, if you hold that position, just comes down to how much you value the lives of animals. Yeah, I, we discussed this before. So I, I basically say, look, it's hard to hold that viewpoint and not also be a vegan, right? Because it, I don't really see an in-between where you say that and don't value it enough to not kill and eat them, right mm. and and have this distinction of not, livestock versus other animals not necessarily though because we we yeah. did when we is did it, also it, veganism we did draw yeah. like the categories sort of point yeah, right? yeah. we were like and it's not like chickens are at any risk of dying out mm. there's a sort of finality to like killing off rhinos that's like okay, okay so you're talking at a species level not an individual animal level there's like a respect for life yeah 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 talking at a species level i don't know that feels like one of those vague things that sounds compelling but doesn't actually mean anything like what? What, the, what does that mean? Well, as in, like, it's just it's just a way of encapsulating the value that you care about living things, right? So if we care about living things and our actions are causing them to die out, yeah, but that's specific, the reason that gives us responsibility. But how is that an answer to the question? Why do you care about li preserving living things? As in, you're just restating the the titular statement. But you're saying in, I care about living things because I care about living things. I'm asking why? Why? Because they're sentient and have moral value. I mean, you, you, you fundamentally, you kind of come down to that, like, yeah, that axiom of just like I care. Mm -hmm. because I care. <laughs> okay. As long as you're acknowledging that that's what you're saying, I'm, I'm no, fine. No, it's like axiomatic, right? You have yeah. to just basically okay, say so, so the argument animals have value intrinsically. And so so con conservation is important because conservation is important? No, it's more than that. Conservation is important because it's the activity that promotes the welfare of living animals. And the welfare of living animals is a fundamental value in the way that the welfare of humans is a fundamental value. You're yeah. basically kind of vesting I, them with yeah. the same dignity that we invest like human lives. Which which I personally don't agree with, but fair. No, no, no. Uh, but that's, uh, that's I wouldn't, what I'm saying. I wouldn't, position I wouldn't breed and eat humans. Okay, fair. Let's go on to some of the criticism or some of the formal criticism of conservation. Mm. It's argued by academics Jennifer Jacquet and, uh, or Jacket and Nicholas Dellon that it's not truly utilitarian ethics to conserve endangered species by using trophy hunting, as there are many more considerations other than just the quantity of surviving members of a species. There's mm. no special thing to avoiding hitting that number hitting zero, right? Other factors include societal implications of endorsing what is essentially killing for fun and the suffering of the individual animals, i.e., you know, maybe it's better to allow uh, some animals to die out than to uh, support, have some suffer than than to support the kind of sponsored, paid suffering of a few, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe that's not a moral price price worth paying, even you know, doing utilitarian calculus, especially if you're not putting any weight on you know the value of not hitting zero. Mm -hmm. And I guess uh, the point there is it's quite barbaric, right? Like yeah. the example we said we'd we'd come to was um, yeah, if you had a class of slaves. Yeah. that powered a city and made everyone happy, would you permit it? Or, or perhaps a yeah. better example is, would you let a billionaire hunt children? Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come to that because I, I, I like that thought experiment. It's, but probably, I, it's probably not yeah. a bad time to do but it. Right? I think, well, one thing, just on the point that Jennifer and, and Nicholas, uh, Jennifer Jacket and Nicholas Dellen made, uh, and this is kind of relating to what we were just saying, mm -hmm. uh, a little off script, talking about why do we need to preserve things? Mm -hmm. uh, like, no offense, you were struggling to kind of justify like the no, number of two justifications. Yeah, I'm not yeah. struggling at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, let, we'll let reasons. No, but I mean, there's a difference between having to and then being good, right? <laughs> but you know, from a utilitarian perspective, uh, or, or you know, from my own moral perspective, it's it's kind of it, it, like just saying that there's oh, but this is the last one doesn't really change, or, or, th or there's only a few left doesn't really change the calculus of killing something for fun, right? Um, so, for example. It's not because in raw numbers, there's a ton of chickens in the world that it's mm. okay to kill chickens, right? And, it, you know, it, likewise, it wouldn't be, you know, if, if humans, if there were too many humans, we wouldn't be like, well, it's okay to kill them now because there's too many of them, mm. right? <laughs> like the number just isn't really relevant. That's not where the morality of, of killing and making it suffer is coming from. Do you agree right? with that? Because I think in terms of like practical conservation, that does hit like a sort of tipping point beyond which you can't no 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 but I, okay the point is right and to flip it yeah. you've got culling which is yeah, actually like yeah, yeah. a sort of endorsed practice just to keep areas like yeah but that's that's not that's an argument that's kind of separate because then you're considering a net benefit or a net loss right mm. so you're you're not doing it you're not saying but like, when we're talking about trophy hunting we are talking about a net benefit yeah yeah uh, but i'm talking specifically in the context of is it worth preserving a species right so like let, what, what i'm effectively saying is let's say that it was neutral 
Mm-hmm. Let's say that let's say we were talking about this and it was a neutral impact on the population, mm-hmm. right? And the money was just going to the local community. And that was the argument for the net benefit. Mm-hmm. Right. Would you then say, like, well, it depends on how many of them are left, how moral it is. Why does it matter where the money's going? Because because otherwise the argument is, well, I'm net promoting the population despite the fact that this action is reducing it. I'm mm-hmm. saying if the benefit is somewhere else, mm-hmm. right? It's just independent from the number of animals that exist. You could still, I guess, point to the same positive outcomes to local communities, which in some ways is 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 the argument for yeah. trophy hunting. But I mean, just uh, like, okay, let, let me let me change it like this: the benefit is only going to the community. Mm. What is the number of animals, or like you know, out of however many, you know, mm. from one to a billion, where your answer would flip from yes, this is okay, to no, this is not okay. This animal is too endangered to do this. I think the problem with that is that. It's not just about the number anyway, because I think you'd still... So you, you agree that it's independent of the number of animals that exist? Maybe, because I think I think you'd still, like, even if there was thousands of elephants, which I think, like, elephants are fine, elephants are, like, relatively not that endangered, yeah. and they still get trophy hunted. So yeah. I think... Or do the, they, actually? I don't know. I probably, fact check that. The problem, but, the problem, and that's what these guys are saying, the problem isn't the number that exists, the problem yeah. is it's wrong to kill them. Uh, well, in their argument, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Anyway, which people describe as an economical argument. Rather. Yeah, people yeah. often position. Uh, sorry, that's an ethical argument, and then the flip oh, side. Oh, sorry. Is yeah, they yes. would they describe other people's as an economic yeah. argument, like yeah. I was just saying, rather than an ethical one, and it ignores actual well-being. An interesting parallel to consider, and this is the thing we're talking about, right? There's a famous book, The Most Dangerous Game, where a bunch of billionaires basically hunt people on an island. Right? I haven't read that. Do you know who wrote um, it? No, but it's in my Kindle, so nice. I'm going to read it soon. Uh, and if you imagine some rich lunatics were willing to spend immense sums of money to support communities in exchange for being allowed to hunt people occasionally, you know, would we ever consider that ethical? Like, you know, if it's kind of the Hunger Games, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, like, if a billionaire was like, I'm going to run the Hunger Games, and yes, I will kill a couple people, but it will literally support you know, the rest of their family forever, right? Mm. Or like, you you know, if you get some rich old pervert who's like, I want to buy your children Mm. to, you know, sexually abuse them, but I'm going to pay billion, like one billion to your community, like some outrageous sum, right? Is there any number that makes that okay? And it's, it's really it's really just an articulation of the small number of slaves to, to power a city. And the only thing that makes that different from trophy hunting is, I suppose, how much you value the difference between human and animal lives, yeah. right? Yeah, like, yeah. Which is, I mean, fundamentally, I think, yeah, there's a, the, like... There's an intuitive difference between humans and animals. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it shouldn't be as distinct as, as it is, but that's why we kill any animals and don't kill any humans. I think one 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 thing that's really interesting to kind of bring into this that helps articulate a way of thinking about it. I know that like Rawls's perspective on um, justice as fairness uh, and a policy is only as as fair as as it impacts the worst off is more about political theory than you know individual moral actions. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's kind of a parallel here where it's like a way. You know, a, a good way of avoiding this sort of problem is to say, like, okay, you can only you can only do negative things insofar as they it also benefits the people who are getting the negative, like, who have to endure that negative thing, right? Mm. So, like, okay, a man has to work a job they don't like, but that's how they sustain a family that brings them a lot of joy, right? Mm-hmm. There's gonna they are getting some balance for the negative thing they need to endure. Uh, that was very kind of 1950s, uh, <laughs> kind of you know patriarchal. But you you get my point, right? Like maybe a way of of setting a line on this is like it needs to be to the benefit of everyone, including the person who has to take that cost. Um, Which you can't really say yeah. for trophy hunting because the no, no, animal because the animal just dies. Yeah. Well, but uh, I mean, actually, in fairness, you say that. I mean, this is probably affording uh, animals too much rationality. But you know, think about sci-fi movies like I saw Interstellar over over again over Christmas. Overrated thing. movie, decent movie. I like. You know, but like. A lot I don't of, like the ending. Well, yeah. Love the planet with the waves. Yeah, 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 that yeah. is so cool. Awesome. Part of the thing there is that scientists are like, we're willing to give up our lives to try and extend the species, right? Mm-hmm. What if a lion had the <laughs> rational... Just, like, what if Cecil was like, guys, I'm going to take this I'm one. I'm taking this one. <laughs> this is me making my sacrifice to promote my species, right? Like, but, but I mean, like in a weird way, I could see a human saying that. If there was a rocket well I, I like that movie don't look up if you had to if uh-huh. there was a rocket that you had to guide into an asteroid and it was the only way to save the species i think there's a lot of people who'd be like i am willing to make that sacrifice yeah, right? yeah. and in this context we're literally talking about making a sacrifice to preserve a species mm-hmm. so maybe it's not that unreasonable yeah, yeah it's just hard to imagine animals being able to articulate that uh, yeah or have that thought process and articulate that design but, but likewise i don't know this is like the limits of of markets right like mm. I can see lots of people in impoverished scenarios who would be willing to give up a kidney or even willing to be killed yeah. in order to like support their family forever, you know, move their family from like destitution to, that, to relative yeah, prosperity. That definitely happens, Doesn't mean right? that we should allow it, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and actually, effectively, that's the price that people are 
taking when they, for example, get into crime and are doing horrible things like killing people um, to try and provide for their family. Coming back to the notes, uh, I think the position of supporting trophy hunting is, is somewhat human-centric. The allowance of regulated trophy hunting often falls under the broader umbrella of payment for ecosystem services. The general theory is that people in wealthy urban areas will pay farmers and conservancies and the like to, to provide ecosystem services. Yep. Uh, things like ensuring the quality of water, carbon recapture, aesthetic preservation, and the conservation of wildlife. In turn, these economic services trickle down to the cities, making the money they spend worthwhile. Ecosystem uh, services, not... Yeah. Yes, ecosystem services, sorry. Uh, so, you know, we export carbon offsetting, for example, to places where the projects can be run much more cheaply. Mm -hmm. Many argue that, that while this may function as a way to incentivize the preservation of the planet, it's also basically a commodification of nature. And lots of people think that nature should be preserved for its own sake, so commodifying it is kind of wrong, but I think that view feels fairly optimistic. It's yeah, I mean, okay, of, that's it's the one, tragedy of the commons, that's, right? Like, that's a, it's an idealistic argument, not a practical policy yeah. perspective. Yeah, yeah. I mean, human humanities in general acted in its, well, loads of ways in which people act in their own interests. Tigers, but here, yeah, that's why we're on top. <laughs> top of the food chain. Yeah, um, take that lion. <laughs> but yeah, the best way in general to preserve uh, things we value, nature, uh, other forms of life, is to make incentives align with yes the that's so. i mean that's one thing that like i would say generally i have like a very liberal perspective i like i, I maybe a relatively anarchical perspective uh, anarchical liberal perspective but one thing that i kind of find practically in both my work and, and perspective on politics is that like arguing things like for example state organized markets you, you're just fighting a losing battle right mm -hmm. like the fact is like people follow incentives that make sense for them mm -hmm. you can either deal with the fact that that's true and you know find ways of making things like incentivizing the right things for people or you can kind of be stalin and pretend that like you can just dictate incentives right and fail yeah exactly. or or kind of you know again we we've, we've talked about this a lot but like you know activists are super important for moving uh the center of mass of opinion but like most of their policy suggestions are ridiculously yeah you know, they're sort of strong to drag the direction of conversation yeah but it's, it's, it's like it's, they had they play an important role but their policy objectives are often just ridiculous and in terms of what they actually sort of tend to achieve it generally is more about attention rather yeah. than rather it's than it's more about attention to issue and you know, for example, taking, again, we talk about sustainability a lot, right? Like pure economists, certainly a lot of economists would argue that like a well-priced, fully uh, global carbon tax could effectively, you know, mm. quote unquote, solve global uh, climate change. It may cause like a lot of loss of quality of life in certain places in the interim. So I'm mm. not saying it would be a perfect policy, but it mm -hmm. could stop climate change if you properly priced in the externalities and basically forced people to consume less fossil fuels, etc. Yeah, I think this episode has been a really great case of, of that sort of contrast of like head and heart, right? Like you, yeah. you can have your economist sort of thinking out on and be like, okay, objectively, trophy hunting makes sense in all these ways. Yeah. And then emotionally, you've got that like, yeah. oh, but you're just killing an animal for sport. And that seems, yeah. that seems sort of barbaric. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those understanding why something makes sense and saying that we should do something mm. are two very different, like understanding the incentives and, and understanding prescriptive behaviors are yeah. two totally different things. Which, you know, like, uh, if, for example, I can totally understand the incentives that led to people in the financial industry, you know, creating financial crises. <laughs> uh, like, I, I can explain it. Uh, that doesn't justify it or mean that yeah. it was like something that was morally good. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit like Jimmy Kimmel's point. It's sort of hard to wrap your head around the kind of mindset required to yep. enjoy trophy hunting. It would be far too strong to say we're grateful that trophy hunters exist because they're promoting conservation. Yeah, but, right? but in but, a way. But in a way they are. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's part of the thing, right? Like part of the issue is just this uncomfortable acceptance that these shitty people exist. Like, Because like you said, it's just so hard. I gave this example when we were talking about this, right? I, for example, think that there's overwhelming evidence that actually prostitution and most drugs should be legal, mm -hmm. right? Drugs aside, but prostitution. Do I think there are many kind of morally upstanding people who would solicit the services of prostitutes? You know, I, I can totally understand some contexts. Like, I don't know, you have some sort of disability that makes it harder to... Mm -hmm. Anyway, like there, there are reasonable circumstances, but generally, like, do I morally relate with someone who would pay for sex? No, that doesn't mean I don't think prostitution should be legal. Yeah, right. You can, you can acknowledge the sort of practical benefits. Yeah, I can acknowledge that this is just a, this case. is just like despite the fact that morally I don't like it, this is a better policy. And regulating it is better yeah. than leaving yeah. it unchecked because exactly. apparently these things will happen anyway, right? Yeah, like, so. these things will happen anyway. Case in point with trophy hunting. To what extent would it just happen anyway? I mean, like we're talking about a small number of extremely rich people who, for some reason, are 
doggedly determined, funny use of dogged, you know, animals, <laughs> lionly determined, have to have the determination of a lion to kill these animals. Like, uh, it's going to happen. Yeah. You know, if it's not with guides, it's probably going to be with poachers. Mm, yeah, it's grim. Yeah. So let's weigh this up. Where do you stand on this? What's it's, your viewpoint? Exactly. I, I sit the exact same place as I sit with prostitution. It should be legal, but I struggle to describe the people who want to do it as anything other than morally reprehensible. Mm-hmm. Why do you think it should be legal? Like, what's what's the sort of thing? That purely policy. policy. I think, I think uh, like, sorry, purely empirical policy outcomes. Mm-hmm. Like, it just works better, yeah. right? And I think, actually, this is something we talked about a ton with the lockdowns, for example. We're way too afraid, generally, to assess policy and see what's actually effective, mm-hmm. right? Because the truth is, if we spent a lot of money in political capital and social capital, we're terrified to find out that it was wrong. And the other thing that we're terrified to do is make policies that we are, you know, morally feel strong on mm-hmm. and realize they don't work. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and there's a sort of emotional hook, right? Is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We kind of come around to it. But for example, you know, think about the 50s, 60s, 70s for mothers who were terrified of, of their kids taking drugs. It's very hard to swallow the pill that, like, you know what, actually criminalizing it just doesn't actually work. Yeah, uh, it, it feels morally incorrect, right? Mm-hmm. Despite the fact that actually, you know, we should do policy that works. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. And, w- and when you're talking about it working, so what's your stance on conservation? Because that was something that it we debated. Clearly promotes conservation. Oh, but sorry, it clearly promotes the maintenance of these species, the maintenance and, and of- the wild environment. Yeah, to be and fair, the wild which have their own benefits. Conservation. That's hard. I sit somewhere in between. I was kind of taking the the you know devil's advocate, devil's advocate right. side. Yeah, I do think that we are weirdly attached to it. I do think we kind of take the snapshot perspective. On the other hand, a lot of these are beautiful creatures that we're wiping off the earth. And if for no better reason than it's symbolic of mm-hmm. like the struggle to like not destroy the planet and people just like to see them mm-hmm. and know that they exist. <laughs> but I do think it's so morally arbitrary because there's so many animals we don't we don't give a shit about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I can see that. I feel like I, I, maybe that's the part where we differ, but I think in every other respect, we have a similar opinion. I feel like... You feel more strongly we should definitely... I, I think there's value in, yeah, there's value in conserving species. Even the central rock rat, God yeah. bless it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Makes the eastern rock rat look like shit. <laughs> Don't get me started on the southern rock rat. Uh, <laughs> and whether that's because you take the view that it's about preserving biomes, which I guess there's some benefits to because uh, at least we're sort of familiar with models of how they currently work, mm-hmm. or it's because you say animals sort of intrinsically have value, at least at a species level, we don't want to sort of wipe them out. Mm. I see value in that, but I think you're right. I mean, economically, this is clearly a policy that makes sense. My hope is that you can generate enough sort of wealth from this to build up more sustainable forms of, of promoting these yeah. conservancies and Maybe and at some point they become little safari parks or whatever. And like, okay, that's also not great. It's not true nature, for, semi-nature for them, but mm. like, it's better than killing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, we do need to roll. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who uh, tunes in Sports Show. Thank you for leaving reviews. We love to read them. Um, I really appreciate that. Thank you to the Dream Factory in Shoreditch for hosting our studio. Thank you to Jack. Feel free to message us, everyone. If you message us, suggest an episode, etc., we will read it out. We read every message. You can reach us on Facebook. You can also email us, anthony at stasher.com, jacob at stasher.com, or, you know, through Instagram, etc. And we have a meme account. It's great. Also, <laughs> we, I, we haven't mentioned in ages, we do have a Patreon. If you want to support the show, it helps us fund the production. And, you know, then we may not have to do ads if we get enough supporters. But yeah, thank you guys. Thank you guys for listening. Take care and see you next time.